Welcome to this Vet Team AMR podcast from RCVS Knowledge, leading responsible antimicrobial use in farm, companion, and equine teams. Hello, everybody. My name is Lucy Coyne. I'm the project manager for Farm Vet Champions and RCVS Knowledge. And today I'm delighted to be speaking with Henry, who is a poultry vet um, with many specialities in chickens. Um, I want to say welcome, Henry. And do you want to give us a bit of a sort of introduction to your background with poultry? Yeah, of course. I, um, I actually, when I graduated, I went into mixed practice, first of all. And I um, was terrified of seeing a chicken. Like if they, if I came up on the screen, I'd be like, please, someone take this console off me. Um, but I think they're utterly adorable. So I went and did an internship with a commercial poultry firm. So my background is very much commercial poultry. But now I've got my own pet poultry practice and I teach pet and commercial poultry and medicine surgery to students at the University of Surrey uh, School of Veterinary Medicine there. So come from commercial, morphed into backyard. <laughs> Oh, that sounds really interesting. Do you find it sort of challenging to to treat sort of backyard poultry in comparison to sort of commercial poultry? And do you think there's sort of major difference in expectations between owners who keep their poultry as pets or kind of, you know, farmers who keep commercial poultry? Yes, major differences. So a part of it is sort of attitude. And when I'm going on farm, if I make recommendations, it's generally going to be adhered to. Otherwise, when they get audited, someone's going to spot they've not listened to the vet. So usually I find farmers very easy to persuade to do exactly what I want them to do. Pets, however, there's cost is always going to play more of a thing because they can't. The chickens particularly are very stoic and they don't necessarily show discomfort. So you're trying to persuade someone that actually the bird really needs some pain relief. And they'll be like, no, she still runs for her treats in the mornings. You're like, yeah, but she hobbles away afterwards. So they are far more difficult to persuade to spend money, I find, on their pet birds, partly because they're a low value anyway, but animal. Um, uh, and also because they're so stoic, they don't necessarily show the clinical signs. Whereas on farm, you can see feed consumption, water consumption, you see the data um, and are far more birds represented. So yes, they're, they're more difficult to persuade, but on the plus side, the kind of owners that are prepared to take their chickens to a vet have already made that decision. I am prepared to pay for my animal. So actually, there's a lot of self-filtering, and I think um, it's frustrating sometimes to to hear that vets assume that the client doesn't want to pay because they're a cheap product, effectively a cheap pet. Um, whereas actually, I think you'll find that they're far more uh, prepared to pay than you think they are. So I would never assume that. Give them the costs, tell them what your full workup's going to be, and see how they react. Now, all they're going to say is no, or yeah, go for it. Oh, thank you. That's really sort of interesting. Um, and kind of from the, obviously, you see a lot of backyard poultry. What would you say are the kind of major disease challenges? And how do you think for sort of practitioners that the Farm Vet Champions sort of plan, prevent, protect um, sort of principles can really support them when they see chickens and they're probably like you were, ah, this is terrifying. You know, how can we help to support vets that are seeing backyard poultry? I think... You know, so a lot of it's going to be around knowledge and confidence, to be honest. And I realise not a lot of us were taught very much at vet school. But, you know, if you're able to do a full physical exam on a chicken, you will spot abnormalities. 
Um, and be aware that those clients are identifying what they think is abnormal, which may not be the most relevant uh, clinical sign, to be honest, once you've examined it, but they've already Googled it and they've already put it on the chicken forum and they've always already had a hundred people say, this is what's wrong. You need to go and get antibiotics. So you're having a client traipsing down to you going, oh, she's got, let's for example, she's got sauerkraut. She needs antibiotics or antifungals. And actually you examine this bird and go, does she really? She's actually got a large salpingitis, which is like a like a pie, like a bitch pyometra, but in a chicken, pus is solid. So imagine a rock solid pyo in a little bird. They can get pretty huge. Um, and the reason she's got secondary sauerkraut is actually because her whole body system's shutting down. This huge salpingitis is, is um, sort of crushing on blood vessels and it's restricting gastrointestinal tract. So she's now, we've got a bird presented to you that needs antibiotics, but with sauerkraut and diarrhea, when actually it's got a huge mass of, of caseous material inside it. So if you can do a full physical examination um, and be, not be critical of what owners present with, but think, do I think this is a primary or secondary clinical sign? Um, you know, there's no point in throwing antibiotics at something with a huge mass of cases material inside it because it's just not going to resolve. You know, it either needs to go for surgery or it needs to be on palliative care and put to sleep. There is no two ways about it. Antibiotics are not going to make the slightest difference. So um, I think often from a welfare point of view, that if you go ahead and you, you know, you're not sure of how to clinical exam and you rely on the owner's uh, symptoms and you treat symptomatically, you're potentially leaving a bird with a massive discomfort and silomic pain, silomic being chicken abdomen, um, if you treat it for sauerkraut and diarrhoea, well, actually that's not the main problem. So if you can do a full clinical exam, I think that's the most important thing. The rest you can extrapolate from other species. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. I think, yeah, sort of uh, back in my days of clinical practice, I think the idea of doing a clinical exam in a chicken would be quite sort of intimidating but I think you've just made it sound like it's actually something that would be quite doable and you can definitely then pick up those abnormalities. Um, in terms of sort of um, you know clinical conditions and stuff one thing that I've sort of heard of and I actually have backyard hens myself and have experienced is uh, mycoplasma mm -hmm. and I just wonder whether you could give a bit of an idea on sort of how the farm vet champions sort of principles and and the modules as well might help support that that problem of mycoplasma which is something that I'm aware is sort of people that's that's may well think that is something that that you know is a bacteria and how do I approach that from an antibiotics point of view? So that is again something it'll be quite commonly presented with because it's the buzzword that on pet chicken forums anything with spiritual disease it's got to have mycoplasma so um, you are likely to be presented with that with, a, with owners who are expecting antibiotics as well. I mean Certainly, um, it, it's really, really well worth having a look at those farm vet champion modules because we do go very much into the plan, protect, prevent, and only some of it's relevant to farms, but actually a lot of it's extrapolatable to, to pets as well. And although biosecurity, it's very important in the winter, they have influenza, but if you're thinking about these birds are free-ranging people's gardens, they're being defecated on from above by wildlife constantly when they're outside. So there's only so much of biosecurity they can do, especially if you've got some show birds, they're going to, to shows, there's no biosecurity there. Um, so that is more difficult to control. But I think once they've, once they've got it, you need to decide how are you going to protect those birds and ensure their immune systems are good enough to cope with it. So... When my little one, my, my, my young son has got a cold, I don't rush him down to the doctors for antibiotics instantly. 
um, even though there will be some sort of bacterial component in that. So what I do is make sure that he is wormed. Well, he's not, but you know what I mean? Um, he's not got any parasites. He's not got extra parasites. He's had good nutrition. And actually, he'll fight off that infection nicely. I might give him a little bit of cowpole and some Vicks, of course, as decongestion. But he'll ride through it as long as I support him. So we need to get owners used to accepting that particularly something like mycoplasma, that even if we treat it, it's only going to be temporary and they're always going to have mycoplasma. We're not going to get rid of it. Um, they need to learn to live with it, to be honest, and live with the fact that their birds are going to be ill at some point, but they don't necessarily need, um, you know, antibiotics. So um, I'd go down the plan, protect, um, prevent principle and have a look. How else can you support them? Make sure the immune system's good, make sure the housing is good nutrition you know if it's cold they might need extra calories or extra warmth at night time how are you going to support them are you, how are you going to clear their airways with decongestion how are you going to give them an anti-inflammatory because it's most of the reason why they're making these strange rattling noises as well or um if they've got ocular disease you know work it up make sure it's not an ulcer um as if you would with a dog to be honest and and there's still some of the um topical preparations for dogs that that you can put a withdrawal period on so um that's what I would suggest. Think all around the whole topic rather than just reach straight for the Thailand because it's going to happen again. Hmm. Thank you. That's really, really useful. I think that's definitely something that, um, you know, whether they're farm vets, mixed practice vets or, you know, even companion animal vets that might be listening to this. That's really sort of useful to actually start to think around and think how you might approach a sort of companion animal case but for a backyard hen for example and you don't have to worry so much about the egg withdrawals as well so there's one of the sections we talk about in the um, in the layers uh, module of farm at champions is about um, antibiotics and the categorizations and ema and which ones are licensed in poultry with zero egg withdrawal but you don't have to worry about egg withdrawals in pet poultry so there's a module in the farm at champions about well, there's a section about um, antibiotics and it goes through uh, what the different categories are um, and which products contain products that are, are licensed in poultry uh, and what the egg withdrawals are but you don't have to aim for something with a zero day egg withdrawal in pet birds because as long as the clients are able to identify whose eggs are whose which they can do nowadays chicken cams a fantastic way of doing that for example then it's okay if you have to use a product on the cascade that is still safe to use in a food producing animal but you have to add a seven or 14 day egg withdrawal to it because the client can usually identify which birds and they're not losing economic value like a farmer would so you don't you're not actually as restricted as you are as a farm vet if you're a small animal using things on the cascade oh thank you that's really useful so vets can actually go and have a look at the farm vet champions module for supporting if they are having to use an antimicrobial they think it's appropriate they can actually go and you know choose something with an appropriate egg withdrawal and then work with the client to make sure that they know to dispose of eggs yeah, that's I'd use it in relate. Use it with the the, the EU legislation on um, the allowed in food producing species, and it's also got one at the bottom that says prohibited. So no circumstances you're allowed to use prohibited. But if you've got dog and cat medications in the practice, and you think actually if this is a dog, this is what I would give it. Look it up, see if it's on the allowed list. Because if it is, then great, go ahead. But you must. And follow the VMD's advice and the VMD's got a good module haven't they on the farm at champions and make sure you apply an appropriate withdrawal but you don't always have to have the ones with zero. No, that's really really helpful thank you and just another sort of condition that came to mind then was bumblefoot that I know can be quite problematic 
Would you be able to sort of give us some idea how the plan prevent protect might be applied to bumblefoot, for example, in backyard poultry or hens? So bumblefoot is pododermatitis. It's dermatitis of the foot pad, really. And um, it is a term that it's not such a useful term to use because it, it makes no reflection how severe the disease is. So a bird with just a slight amount of ulceration, for example, technically it has pododermatitis. So that could be called bumblefoot. Equally, when the whole foot pad is swollen and, you know, you've got swelling tracking up the leg and infection, a huge um, uh, caseous core inside, then that's also called bumblefoot. So different grades of pododermatitis are much better to talk about. And um, and plan protect, prevent definitely comes into it because there's no point whatsoever in trying to solve a case of severe pododermatitis when actually the client's got them on severely rough ground, inappropriate ground, um, because it's just going to come back or it's going to come back in another animal. Uh, so you've got to look at the husbandry, you really do, around it. Otherwise, it's just going to happen again. It's not going to solve the welfare uh, problems underlying. So it definitely comes into it. And, and think about... You know, how, how necessary are oral and systemic medication compared to topical? And if it's something that's restricted only to the foot pad, then use topical antibiotics in the foot pad. I would only recommend someone uses oral um, antibiotics in a case of severe podo if actually you've got evidence for tracking up the leg, risks of septicemia. But if it's just a distinctly, you know, abscess that's encapsulated, then surgery, shell it out, topical should be should be adequate, really. Anti-inflammatories, of course. <laughs> I think uh, yes, meloxicam is a staple prescription of mine because it just it does so much good. Yeah, no, that's that sounds really, really helpful. In terms of obviously you have your specialist sort of backyard hen. What are the those two that I just picked out there were sort of things from my experience. From your experience, what sort of other common conditions that it that you sort of see where you do use the sort of plan, prevent, protect principles and have to sort of think around, you know, how how can I treat this without having to sort of jump to antibiotics for sort of, you know, day one? What sort of conditions do you see? So I used to, I would I would say I would answer this question differently a long time ago when I couldn't do a clinical exam properly. So when I've when I've when I get a lot of referrals of non-specific poorly birds, for example, from other practices, but now I can perform a good clinical exam and you can really isolate what is wrong with that bird and you can persuade owners to perform ultrasound or from blood testing and things, it's it's much easier to narrow it down. Salpingitis, we've already discussed, of course, pododermatitis. Um, peritonitis is another one that I, I find quite a lot of birds referred to me with suspect peritonitis that have already been put on on antibiotics so for example i've just seen one this morning actually um so she had fluid in the abdomen uh, so ascites and uh she was looking quite unwell quite fluffed up she's underweight low body condition score if you dig into her history she's an ex uh um, rehomed ex-commercial hen so i'm already thinking alarm bells hmm, it's more like to be peritonitis salpingitis and things i questioned her about her nutrition as well at home and actually she's on quite a lot of uh, mixed corn as they would call it now i ban the c word to my students because uh you've no idea what's in that is it wheat is it maize they're major nutritional differences between those two products and we actually will use whole wheat in commercial birds to slow their growth rate down so if you've got an already underweight, underweight poorly bird who's being fed whole wheat that's not going to help her gain muscle mass again um 
So you know, digging around into the husbandry there, she was covered in lice. So we need to, no matter how the what are the bird presenting now, the whole flock has to be prevented from going the same way. We need better parasite control, better worm control. We need better nutrition. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that we need to protect the others and prevent them having to um, need antibiotics in the future. And with this little young lady, um, a simple coelomcentesis revealed that actually the, the fluid coming out was completely clear. Um, very pale yellow and very clear and um, on just simple diff quick staining there's no bacteria in it so it, it, peritonitis is not the underlying cause she does not need antibiotics <laughs> simple there are other differentials at, at, at bay but just not being frightened of working it up as if it was a dog for a dog with ascites you probably get some fluid out and have a look at it you do the same with the chicken yeah, so there's probably also sort of room here, you know, if you are a farm animal vet sitting in a mixed practice to actually use this, you know, take this podcast, go and look at the farm vet champions and actually sort of work with your small animal vets to do that sort of workup and diagnostics. You know, there's no there's no harm in asking, is there? And working together as a practice, I think this is showing, you know, how transferable and the fact that, you know, vets are trained in all species, actually, how you know, any vet can can go and do that clinical examination and follow those sort of principles that you've been talking about. That's really, really helpful. Thank you. And, and looking at some of the um, examples of farm vet champions about you know, underlying husbandry um, issues that can be underlying. You know, I, I realise it's a bit abstract when you've got one hen being brought into a clinic, but you know, there's nothing wrong with setting up a video call, to be honest, afterwards and just getting them to show you around their coop and having a little look at the husbandry and their nutrition going, oh, that might be why we keep seeing hens from yours that are looking this way. So, you know, they don't have to go out and visit them nowadays. They can show you around by video so that you can really have a look at those underlying factors in the farm vet champions that might be contributing. Oh, that's really, really helpful. That's a really sort of, I feel like COVID's kind of made the idea of sort of video calls with vets and that sort of opportunity a bit more sort of commonplace. And um, it does sound like a really sort of good idea. So you're sort of talking around sort of management and the plan prevent protect. Could you just to sort of summarise for us what the sort of key bits that you'd be looking at around, you know, a hen that's been brought to you or a telephone conversation with an owner? What as a vet sort of would you be focusing on management wise? So nutrition has got to be number one there. Um, a lot of inappropriate nutrition and treats, the volume of treats and what is given as a treat too, because these are very much loved family members, let's be honest. They could very easily be living on bananas every day for you know, so questioning about that. Um, looking at the legal uh, aspects as well, so kitchen scraps, for example, is not allowed. So, you know, thinking about those things too. And if they are on kitchen scraps, it might be that they're having high salt content in their diet and, and things like that. So definitely nutrition, number one. Parasites too, because they are living outside. So we're looking at endoparasites, which can reduce calories, um, as well as, you know, we do have one pathogenic worm, but most of them are just calorie hoovers and leave less for the bird's own immune system, for example. Um, ectoparasites, things like anemia, uh, red mites cause a lot of anemia. And, and I think owners forget, you know, they think red mites, red blood cells, anemia. They forget they're sucking whole blood. They're taking white blood cells too. So it's not really a surprise that they end up with immunosuppression as well as anemia. Um, so so we certainly must address things like red mites. And, and it's hard for owners to spot them because they don't live on the birds. So don't allow birds to come into the practice and go, oh, they've got no red mites. It can't be that underlying. They don't live on the birds. So, you know, they've got to look in the environment. Um, uh, so what is that? We've done nutrition, we've done ectoparasites, endoparasites, um housing too so 
it is not quite the same when you're looking at uh, non-commercials, but you know, it's, it's much easier to, to cook a chicken than it is to freeze a chicken, I was going to say. And, um, you know, in the summer, we've got global warming. We've got higher and higher summer temperatures. Birds don't like being over 25 degrees Celsius. That's not comfortable for them. And when we're open mouth breathing, they're going to be bringing in more pathogens and more things in the air into their lungs and air sacs. And their air sacs communicate directly into their long bones. So it's not really a surprise that they're quite prone to things like joint infections. Um, so trying to make sure the housing is suitable, they have enough ventilation. And I think a lot of those really posh, pretty chicken coops, I call them chicken cookers, they don't quite have enough ventilation really. It's not really a surprise that in the summer, we get quite a lot of respiratory disease or other conditions, just because the birds are sat at night gasping for air and chicken cams are another really great way of seeing that because you can see how they're acting in the wind, uh, sorry, in the, in the dead of night in the summer. Oh, I really like that idea. Chicken TV. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. That's been really sort of helpful. I think we've done quite a good whistle stop tour there of kind of the sort of important and as you say, the the backyard hen phone call, uh, you know, that can be quite, quite scary for some vets that are maybe not seeing um, backyard poultry very regularly. Um, and I think we've really sort of highlighted there where there's bits of the Farm Vet Champions that can be really applied, taken out that commercial context, but applied to the backyard hens. Um, you know, it's the it's the same sort of, as you were saying, the same sort of principles, really, as commercial poultry. Do you think there's anything else that is sort of useful to sort of say to people that might want to be, uh, you know, going away and having a bit more of a think about backyard hens or possibly they've got one booked for this afternoon that that's useful to sort of know about? Uh, well, I tell all my vet students to just shut their eyes and pretend the feathers are fur and just do a full exam. What a good tip actually can be if you're not used to it is ask your receptionists whenever somebody calls up with a, a pet hen to book an appointment, make them bring another hen that's healthy because it's much easier to place spot the difference than it is to identify an abnormality in something that you're not really sure what's normal. So get them to bring a healthy one. Um, they can claim it's to reduce stress, that's fine. Um, it, it'll make you sound very knowledgeable. Uh, and you can have a quick feel of Maisie while she's here, just to make, because I'm a very diligent vet. And you'd be like, Phew, actually, there's a lump in one side and there's not a lump in the other one. Brilliant. I now know what the problem is. Um, so you can very tactfully do that. Oh, thank you. That sounds like a really useful tip, actually. Um, yeah, I'd never thought about that. I guess it's. Um, it's the same as when you might be looking at as a farm vet, you know, some calves with pneumonia, compare them to the ones in the corner that have possibly, you know, got got fewer signs. And what is the ventilation difference? You know, that kind of thing. I guess you can see what's how that hen is looking compared to the well hen that lives in the, the same coop. So that's really useful. Thank you. Um, I think I've kind of covered all of the the areas it was really good to get your opinion on is there anything else do you think that we should finish on here no i think just there's some brilliant links in those farm vet champion modules as well so things like the links to the ema categorizations of antibiotics and um, which are your most appropriate first line ones um uh and uh the vmd so how would you decide on an egg withdrawal an appropriate egg withdrawal for example how would you use the on the cascade watch how you should write a prescription as well is pretty useful on you know, the BVA websites and things too and the RCVS website as well because I quite often find that a lot of vets need a lot of training on how to write appropriate prescriptions and labels as well um, for, for those food producing species that satisfy all that all that labeling so there's lots of information on there and the final website I'd say is that um, is, is the link 
on the farm at Champions module to the legislation about allowed substances and food, food producing species. I have it on my desktop at all times as a link and it, it's a lifesaver and it's so easy because you can just search as well for whatever whichever drug you want to look for. It's really useful to have that sort of those egg withdrawal and that legislation because you know it might be some circumstances where you might be sort of grabbing for say a you know a fluoroquinolone that's got not got an egg withdrawal on it so you know it can't be used in any hens that lay for example um you know that sort of situation yeah good example or, or, or colistin with a zero egg withdrawal you might be very tempted to that for example um but uh just just remember that that the you know if you have any esbr resistance or fluoroquinolone resistance that, that you're going to induce in the, for example, healthy gut bacteria of those birds. Those birds are family pets. They're being cuddled by their owners, their children, their family members, their neighbours. You know, you've potentially got um, uh, immunosuppressed um, cuddling them, or you might have some family members who are allergic to amoxicillin. And actually, maintaining their response options to things like colistin and, and fluoroquinolones is really important. So yeah, don't forget that whatever you give is not just finishing when the bird excretes the product. You know, this they are going to be well handled and there's no biosecurity when you've got small children cuddling chickens, they're not suited and booted. So yeah, it doesn't just end there. Do think about down the line, what am I exposing these owners to that I'm gonna give this food producing animal? Yeah, thank you. I think that's a really good note to finish on, actually, you know, just our thinking about our responsibility of antimicrobial use, as well as, you know, the, the plan, prevent, protect, you know, we don't want to get to that situation where we are having to reach those antimicrobials and we can follow your advice through the Farm Vet Champions content and through this podcast. Um, and I think, I think we can make everybody much more confident when they do have that phone call about that backyard uh, hen or maybe even that backyard turkey we've got a fantastic turkey module as well yes. that will help support <laughs> yeah it's good and if you want to reach for anything reach for a non-steroidal instead <laughs> fantastic i think that's a really good place to end thank you very much for your time henry pleasure lucy thank you for listening to this vet team amr podcast from rcvs knowledge visit rcvsknowledge.org forward slash amr for free CPD, benchmarking and audit tools to improve your antimicrobial use.